from the School of Psychology at the University of Queensland and UQPSY Studios, this is Just a Thought, a podcast where we explore psychology and how it influences our lives. Here are your hosts, James Kirby and Nicole Nelson. And welcome to another episode of Just a Thought. I'm joined here today by the wonderful Dr. Jonathan Redshaw. He is a uh, very uh, important researcher here within the School of Psychology, I think. He does some fascinating research looking at child development, and he also does some terrific studies looking um, at differences in development between children and our great uh, cousins uh, in different monkeys and ape species, which he'll be talking about today, hopefully. Uh, John is quite accomplished. He's published over a dozen different papers, a couple in current biology, uh, one of which he'll be talking about today because it was the focus of his seminar discussion uh, here at the UQ School of Psychology seminar series. So we're very lucky to have Jonathan here and, and welcome Dr. Redshaw. Thanks, James. It's a very, uh, very generous introduction. And we're also, of course, got our uh, co-host, Dr. Nicole Nelson, with us. Happy to play along. How have you been, Nicole? Haven't seen you in a while. Good. Busy. Busy. But, you know, uh, yeah. we're, we're wrapping up the end of the semester here, which makes mm. all the students happy and all the researchers <laughs> very, very happy. Yes, yes, no, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> any plans over the holiday period? I'm going to sound very lame, but I plan on writing. Okay, yeah, yeah, like yeah. Like the crazy yeah. person I am. <laughs> Going to conferences? Or, no, um, not in the break, mm-hmm. but uh, my nephew is coming to visit, which is very exciting. So oh, I'll that, be gone for a little lots bit. Lots of experiments you can do on him, I'm sure. <laughs> He's 18, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> oh, that's excellent. He can, he can definitely Hopefully get he can consent. pass the 18 month old tasks then. Yeah. I'll send him off to you for tube tests. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's a very good point, the tube test. So, John. Um, I mean, in your seminar, you really talked about and really focused on understanding future uncertainty. I mean, that was the title mm-hmm. of your seminar. Um, but do you just want to expand a little bit more broadly on the research that you do? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so uh, most of my research at the moment focuses on uh, foresight or how we uh, imagine and prepare for future events. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that this has been done in the past typically uh, with children and animals, but also with more broadly with um, other populations like adults, is uh, the participants have to imagine a sort of a, a single future event that probably only has one realistic outcome. And the question is, do they prepare for that single future event in an intelligent, um, strategic manner? And I'm sort of, I was sort of interested more in the question of, well, that's not really how we think about the future um, normally. So as adults, we can sort of see the different possibilities that lie before mm. us. We don't think of the future as this train track with, you know, the, the train inevit- inevitably coming towards us with yes. you know, no way of deviating from that path. We tend to think of it more of like a branching tree um, and all the different different possibilities that lie ahead of us. So my task was mainly aimed at, at uh, yeah, getting at that question um, and whether children and uh, our closest relatives um, see the future in the same way that, that adults do, like a, like a branching tree, I guess. So in terms of like having plan A, B, C, D, E kind of thing, yeah, so don't go quite con- right. Contingent, contingency planning yeah. is one of it. Okay, is, so that's... Is, a, is one part of it. Um, but that doesn't quite capture the branching tree. No, so not necessarily. So often we often when it comes to thinking about the future, we'll envision 
uh, a few different possibilities and we feel as if we select the one that's that's right to pursue. So yeah. we'll consider future possibility A yeah. and we'll judge it on likelihood and desirability. So we might think, oh, yep, that's, that's a very high likelihood um, oh, sorry, a very high desirability possible future. Like, you know, maybe, you know, in your fantasies, you want to be a rock star or something. <laughs> um, but you recognize that, hey, despite the high desirability, it's probably low likelihood. Um, and we end up, you know, imagining a more adequately desirable and adequately likely future and, and trying to pursue that one. Um, but contingency planning comes into it more when you don't really control the future outcome. So, you know, for instance, no one knows if the uh, if the building is going to burn down tomorrow, but we have a contingency plan in place in case that happens. That's why we have all those uh, practice fire drills here and, and so on. So, you know, it's 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 a it's a future that we hope doesn't happen, but um, we have a plan in place in case just in case it does. So travel insurance might be another another thing that people do. So I like you know you you plan out a trip that you're going to do overseas and so on all the great things that you're going to do, but you're also, you know, you normally purchase travel insurance just in case, you know, something goes wrong and you have to, have to, you know, abandon plan A and, yeah. yeah. Go to the other. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's fantastic. So, I mean, I mean, I can't help but think, were you wondering these thoughts to yourself at home in bed? <laughs> How do we do this? Or when did you first Considering get alternative futures yeah, at home, yeah, like, yeah. what could I do in my PhD? Alternative research plan. Um, That's right. I mean, what led you to this field? You know? um, well, I did my undergrad here, actually. Oh, right. Um, and uh, one of my second year uh, and third year lecturers was a professor by the name of Thomas Sudendorf, who's yep. well known within the school. Um, and I thought uh, his lectures were uh, fascinating. So talking about uh, the dif- potential differences and similarities between um, humans and our closest relatives, yeah. getting at the question of what makes us unique. So why are we this um, funny creature that that is calling the shots on this planet for better or for worse? Mm-hmm. Often for the worse, but we <laughs> we are the ones that, that that are running the zoos and you know which are controlling the direction that the planet is heading in. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a fascinating question. Mm-hmm. He, he managed to convince me over the course of these lectures and, you know, through, uh, you know, working with him later on that foresight is probably yeah. one of those uh, really important contributors that, mm-hmm. that, uh, that makes us different. So a lot of the things that we do to change, change the face of the planet or change the face of, you know, our own personal lives is, mm-hmm. is only because we can imagine mm-hmm. um, the future and we can shape the future to our own desire. Um, and yeah, so my, my slant on that was, well, we don't really just consider one future, do we? We mm. think about the alternatives um, mm. and we integrate them and compare them. Um, and I wanted to get at that in the, the simplest way possible uh, with, with the studies that I was talking about at the seminar. So. I mean, I think that, 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 that's fantastic. And, and, and that really leads us nicely into the focus of your talk, which was kind of really focused on this tube study. Mm, and yes, the famous tube, stu- tube yeah, task. I mean, so this is quite people complex. People might have seen me yeah. carrying the tubes around the hallway, wondering what the hell is, is that some sort of plumber? Yeah, or? yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so that gives you a bit of insight into what these tubes look like. So when we're talking about yeah, tubes, it kind yeah. of is like a a, a plumbing it's pipe. A pl- it's, yeah, yeah. So I'm coll- I have a collaborator who calls it the plumbing the plumbing task actually yeah and the way that it was originally built was i went to bunnings um and you know i just bought a whole bunch of pvc pipes and connections and yes. screws and wooden platforms and you know 
chains well not chainsaws hand saws <laughs> and like I took it all back to the early cognitive development center I started sawing stuff up and all the like little bits were going over the floor and I was like oh I'm gonna get into trouble for this but I managed to you know clean it all up later but let's just say I'm not a very mechanical person so even building that tube that was probably the most difficult part of it oh, so I had yes. I had a clear vision in my mind of what I wanted to test but mm. actually building the apparatus that was uh yeah. Quite tricky. We'll so put, quite tricky. We'll put a photo up of the apparatus too so people can clearly vision what this um, these tubes look like. But so this is essentially a physical manifestation of the multiple branches. Yeah, that it's, people are it's sort into of the it's future. it's sort of a it's a physical manifestation of that metaphor that I was talking about. So mm-hmm. um, the the branching tree mm-hmm. way of envisioning the future. Mm-hmm. Um, and do you want me to, to, yeah, yeah, to yeah, describe yeah. the basics? Yeah, that would be um, true. So the, the basic, is, basic uh, structure of the task is very simple. So mm-hmm. it's a tube um, with one uh, opening at the top. Uh, and very, two, carefully very carefully sawed. Very carefully sawed. And uh, two openings at the bottom. Um, and there's a screw and a hidden wooden platform inside. So the experimenter can see that platform, but the participants can't see what I'm doing with the screw and the platform. Um, and I drop a ball for the children or a grape for the uh, apes into the top of the tube. I use the platform to control which side of the tube it's going to come out of. Mm. Um, and at the bottom, so there's two exits at the bottom, it comes out of one of them. And the basic question is, do the participants cover both exits when they're attempting to catch the item? Do they see that the ball could go left, or the ball could go right, or the grape could go left, grape could go right for the apes? Mm. And do they cover both exits at the same time? That's the basic question, that's the basic dependent variable. Mm. Um, I think it's pretty pretty easy to understand, really. Um, I mean, that's the elegance of it. Like, it, it's such a terrific, almost simple design but mm. geez that must have take a lot of thought to well, create I like to think I'm too lazy to come up to come up with something that's more convoluted so Bill Gates has this has this famous saying that you know he gives a difficult task to a lazy person because oh, yeah, yeah. Um, they'll find an easier way to do it so I was thinking oh I could I could make multiple rooms with different problems in them and give them the selection but Oh, then I have to do counterbalancing, I have to control for all these alternative explanations. Mm-hmm. And I thought, no, actually, I could just do this with a simple tube that splits into two exits and I could drop something in there and it could come out and it's getting at really the same same basic, same fundamental thing. And yes, that's the elegance of developmental mm-hmm. science, isn't it? And mm-hmm. I think also working with, with comparative stuff where mm-hmm. you need to take whatever you're working on and distill it down into the most basic form. Yeah, so you have to really have to find the most basic um, components of cognition or emotion or whatever you're interested in testing mm-hmm. and create, um, create your apparatus or create your stimuli that just varies on the absolute minimum dimension, mm-hmm. minimum amount that can still answer answer that question that you're interested in because mm-hmm. you know obviously the the apes can't talk they can't you know mm-hmm. they can't understand you know a complicated set of instructions and young children are quite similar so mm-hmm. a lot of the tasks that are given to young children do have mm-hmm. do have quite a reliance on verbal instruction mm-hmm. but i think you know 
in general we should be aiming for tasks that have as minimal verbal instruction mm-hmm. as possible mm-hmm. unless of course your your mm-hmm. language is the thing mm-hmm. that, that you're looking you're at mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. so john what were sort of some of the key take-homes from the study i mean you've sort of talking taken us through the apparatus and mm-hmm. what the dv was uh, but sort of what was the key message of, of what you actually did in terms of what you uh, tested and what you found okay so <clears throat> so for the children uh, we had a sample of 90 children um, between two and four years of age. So we had twos, two and a halfs, threes, three and a halfs, and four-year-olds, 18 from each age group. Um, and basically, we gave them the task. We gave them 12 trials. So, sorry, take one step back. We gave them six demonstration trials uh, so they could see yeah. that the item exited from the left, sometimes from the right, sometimes yeah. in an unpredictable order, but it was 50-50, so 50% mm-hmm. left, 50, 50% right. Yes. Um, then I said to them, okay, now you can try and catch those balls. If you catch as many as, uh, try and catch as many as you can. And if you catch lots of balls, you'll get some stickers. They're, they're quite motivated to catch the balls anyway. <laughs> Good old fashioned bribery. Um, yeah, it's very useful. It's been a, it's an age old developmental psychology <laughs> technique, bribery, bribery. Um, and then I said, okay, try and catch the balls, catch as many as you can. And what we found was that on the first trial, so none of the two year olds past the task. So mm. all of the two-year-olds covered only one um, side of the tube. Is that right? So remember these two, half of, they would succeed on half of the trials. Yeah, okay? sure. So because it's a 50-50 thing, they were still getting getting some reinforcement. But on half of the trials, they were missing mm. missing those those balls. So it's not like they didn't understand the task. They were no, participating. No, they, they, they were they clearly making a ahead. prediction. So mm-hmm. they were making a prediction. Most of them switched sides at some time during the task. Oh, yeah. So it wasn't as if they were just perseverating with a single response. Mm-hmm. It did seem as if they were trying to solve the task. So they were varying their response. Um, but... Even across the 12 trials, less than half of them um, came across the solution of, of using two hands. And as the kids got older, so the three-year-olds, around half of them passed the first task, and they got much... Um, by the end of the trials, nearly all of them had done that the, the right days. response at some stage. Yeah. Uh, and the four-year-olds, they got it straight away. Right. So nearly all of them, from the very first trial, used two hands straight away to catch the ball. Importantly, the four-year-olds also continue to use two hands. Yeah. So we saw this very strange phenomenon in some of the younger children, especially the two-year-olds, mm. and a lot of the three-year-olds as well. Whereas even when they stumbled upon the two-hand solution and they caught they caught the ball, yeah. or, um, with a 100% success rate, you'd think, okay, as soon as they've got that, mm. um, they should keep doing that and mm. keep catching all of the balls, right? Mm. Like, it's, it's obvious. You think, oh, <laughs> you the think. penny's dropped, but mm. that's not what we actually found. Instead, we found that a lot of these younger children regressed to using one hand mm. even after they stumbled upon the right solution, which probably suggests that it's not an insightful response. It was probably uh. some lower-level cognitive um some lower level cognitive processes or something like conditioning. So the right hand gets a little bit of reinforcement, the left hand gets a little bit of reinforcement. Over time you see the two hand response, but it's not strongly conditioned enough to see it across every trials. All trials. So the developmental side of the story was that it seemed to be something that develops um, during the third and fourth years. So by the, by the age four, nearly all of these, these children seem to be able to prepare for mutually exclusive possible versions of the future. Going into it, did, is that what you were thinking would happen? 
Um, going into it, the hypothesis was more about the comparative aspect. Uh, so right. the the hypo- which I'll get to, I'll, I'll describe the results in a minute. But the the hypothesis. So previous, um, there had been some developmental studies that had looked at this capacity in children, but using a more convoluted um, sort of set of instructions um, and. Uh, a preparatory response that wasn't quite as intuitive for the children and so the early results suggested it might not be until around five or six Ah. so the developmental results showed that actually it's probably around three or four that Mm. the basic the basic behavior Mm. um is is within children's capacity if you make the task easy enough really exactly Mm. yeah but the the hypothesis was that was mainly about the uh the comparative side of it um, and the hypothesis was that, well, perhaps one of the reasons why humans um, are so good at preparing for the future and why we're so good at shaping the future is because we don't just see the future as this, this um, one possibility. We consider all of the alternatives mm-hmm. and we, we weigh up the different options before we select which one we decide to choose. And, that w- and we, we criticise our own... Um, our own uh, imaginations of the future as well. We th- yeah. we we might imagine version A of something happening, and then say, and then sort of go, oh, actually, that's probably not what not would have happened, not what would happen in that version of the future because of X, Y, and Z. So you're saying I won't grow up to be a rock star? It, um, unfortunately, <laughs> Nicole, it's probably a little bit too late for that. But I don't know. Maybe you can um, bring the guitar to to uni one time and show us what you've. What you've got. Oh, you'll be very impressed, so let me tell you. <laughs> Jimi Hendrix in disguise. Um, yes, but the, yeah, so the idea was that, um, yeah, so this might be one of the things that, that makes humans a little bit different. So Separate this, this not foresight per se, not, not making predictions per se, but being able to reflect on those predictions and say, hey, I could be wrong, so mm. it's worth preparing for, for both possibilities. Mm. Um, and so... The hypothesis was that the um, that there would be a difference between species. I see. Um, that doesn't mean that I wasn't surprised to see it actually happen. <laughs> so when I went there and did the test, so the chimps um, and the orangutans. Uh, so we tested three chimps and five orangutans, and they behaved like the two-year-old children. I see. So. They covered one exit mm. um, near, on nearly all trials. A mm. few of them stumbled upon the two-hand solution later on mm-hmm. in the trials. So trial nine was the earliest. Okay. Um, mm. And a couple of the others who we gave extra trials to, they picked it up uh, past the original 12 trials. But even among the three that did pick up the, the two-hand response, mm. they, they regressed. So they showed the, the actions like action like the two-year-old children. So, yep, they stumbled upon the two-hand response, but... Um, later on, they went back to the one-hand response, which suggests they probably didn't have insight into, co- into the contingencies of the problem. Mm. And with the apes, we use grapes, um, and they really love those grapes. Um, <laughs> they'll do anything to get the grapes. So you can't... Th- it, it's, it's, it's not really a viable explanation that they weren't motivated no, to, yeah. to try and catch the grape on every trial because they, they really do want those grapes. Mm. Where does the grape go if they don't catch it? So if the, if they don't catch the grape, um, it's the same for the children with the ball. Uh, it falls on a ramp and rolls away. So with the children, the ball rolls away basically close to where I'm standing. Um, but with the chimps, we have the ramp on the human side of the 
uh, enclosure um, and the chimps have to reach their hands through the enclosure to try and catch the grape uh, but if they miss the grape it falls on the ramp and rolls out of their reach towards the experimenter. So they're they're getting feedback that they're losing out on these grapes even when they're not catching them. Yes, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. And so later on in the trials when we were really like, okay, they're they're really not getting it. Let's see if we can can condition them to do the the two-hand response. So what we did, it was perhaps a little bit cruel, but we gave them lots of grapes after to make up for it. (laughs) So what we did was we waited for them to put out one hand, so either to the left or the right, and then we forced the grape to go to the other side. Mm -hmm. So... If they put out their left hand, we made it go to the right. If they put out their right, we made it go to the left. You have a 0% success rate. Exactly. So there's a 0% success rate when you're using the one-handed response as opposed to the usual 50. Um, And we found that even under this this circumstance where using two hands is the only way to get the grape, um, they didn't um, pass the task. So one of them even gave up. So she'd done 94 trials, and on the 95th trial, she decided... (laughs) Which was, we, there were only 10 of those trials where we made them go, made the grape go the opposite direction at I the see. end. Yeah. So after 10 of those trials, she decided, no, nah, there is no way to solve this task. <laughs> no. um, yeah. And she, she um, yeah, refused to, to participate. And we gave her lots of grapes <laughs> after it was done. Um, just, yeah, yeah. yeah. Make sure <laughs> she didn't hate us at the end. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, uh, that, that makes me think... Um, you know, so there was sort of a guilt there. We're going to give you lots of grapes. Uh, I feel so bad uh, for doing that, it, it, to a degree. Um, did the children and apes respond differently to the disappointment of not getting it correctly? Like, was there like that sense of open curious, uh, kind of what's going on here? Or was it yeah. a kind of a frustrated Okay, so, so I would say much of this is conjecture. So yeah. it's, it's just my face value yep. opinion of yep. things. So, you know, I, I can't say definitively. Yeah. Um, but from what it looked like, it did look like the chimps were frustrated when they missed missed mm. the ball, missed catching the ball. Mm. The children, on the other hand, you know, I wouldn't say that they showed the same frustration response. Mm. So with some of the younger children, you know, even when they missed catching the ball and it fell on the ramp, um, it was, you know, perhaps exciting for them to see that ball fall on the ramp. Mm-hmm. So in a way, perhaps the task might have underestimated the performance of the younger children, maybe mm. even younger children could pass this task, yeah. um, but they're just you know not as motivated as the older kids are to catch the ball every time. Mm-hmm. Maybe some of the younger kids just wanted to to what to watch it roll, <laughs> um, but still they did improve across trials. So yeah. it does suggest that yeah. it does suggest that you know they're not just in it for fun and no. uh, the fun of watching the ball yeah. um, roll. Um, they are trying to solve the task. Yeah. Um, trying to catch as many balls as they can and get that sticker. Um, But it wouldn't surprise me if some of those younger children were sort of, if we underestimated their performance simply because, yeah, they weren't um, as motivated Motivated to to catch the ball. Sometimes kids play their own game. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Mm -hmm. So noise in the data is always an issue with uh, with developmental psychology. So um, children... You know, you're doing the experiment and you're interested in the child's <laughs> cognitive capacity, but they don't care about that. They <laughs> just, they care about getting the reward. They care <laughs> yeah. about making you laugh, making mum laugh. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, sometimes that can lead to some, some naughty children. <laughs> <laughs> excellent, excellent, excellent. Well, I mean, it's just such a, a beautiful study and um, it helps us unlock some questions, of course, that about this uh, branching tree uh, metaphor, if you will. Uh, 
if you were to take this further, what's the next steps? What's the future lie for this mm-hmm. this this work? Um, so first of all, the most important thing is that it gets replicated. Mm-hmm. Um, so with the chimps and the orangutans, we only tested eight. That's now, it. while you know, while these eight chimps, they clearly didn't didn't get the task, um, mm-hmm. un- unlike the older kids who did. Mm-hmm. It might not it might not be a, a thing that's just completely absent within the species within these species. So Ideally, you know, we would like to replicate this finding in, yeah. in a larger, with a larger sample of, of apes, mm. um, just to make sure that what we found wasn't just a just a fluke result. Um, but sure. and ideally, other people will start will start replicating yeah. it as well. Yeah. But we've tried out a few different things already. So um, I mentioned during the talk we tried out a task where the uncertainty wasn't within the tube, it was above the tube. So the uncertainty was controlled by the experimenter. So we we simply had two parallel two straight tubes that were parallel next to each other and the experimenter quickly went left or right so the the chimps and the kids could see the uncertain action rather than it being this unseen thing within the tube Uh, but we found the same basic pattern of results so the uh the kids improved between two and four um and the chimps uh didn't do didn't do very well it's fascinating, um, isn't it? <laughs> and we've also, so we replicated this cross-culturally as well. So um, we replicated this in, we replicated the developmental trajectory of early signs at three, but improvement throughout early childhood in three different cultures. So in Brisbane, um, in some Indigenous Australian communities, and in uh, some South African Bushman communities uh, in the Kalahari, Kalahari Desert. Wow. <laughs> so there's a particular time point at which children start to be able to think about multiple futures. Um, I'm not sure. I, it. I would say it's a particular time point. I would say it's it, it's it's more of a, a slow progression. So if you if we look at the cross cultural data across cultures, um, there were signs in the three year old early signs of passing in all of in three year olds from all of the cultures. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were still they still weren't doing that well. So it was maybe twenty to forty percent of the three year olds across cultures were passing this task. Right. Um, but by the age of six, children from all cultures were passing. So it, it seems to be something that's you know it's not like there's a there's an age that it just sort of mm-hmm. switches on in every child. It's, but it seems to be something that uh, typically developing children at least acquire during early sometime during during early childhood. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Wowee. So, um, John, I mean, this might seem like a bit of a, a different question, but we ask everyone who mm-hmm. comes on Just the Thought uh, this question. Do you think there might be a movie that best captures or reflects the work that you do? Okay, well, yeah, how many time travel movies have there been? Um, <laughs> I mean, I guess... Uh, I could pick one of the pretentious ones, I guess, but I'll no, I'll go classic. Uh, maybe Back to the Future Two. Okay, is, is <laughs> two probably the best one. Two in particular, because mm-hmm. two. Yeah, what's the explanation? Back to the Future Two has the nice element of alternative versions of of the future uh, arising right. based on choices that were made in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. number two also has this very nice element of, uh, you know, um, going into the future and then looking back at the past uh it's integrating different timelines so i think i think this integrating different timelines thing is something that i'm quite interested in so let perhaps it's easier to understand with an example so something like regret for instance i like to think of regret as this ability to think that 
in the past, something different could have happened in the future. So in a way, you're taking what the tube is, there could be two alternative versions of the future, and you're embedding that within the past. Um, and you can anticipate regret as well, right? You can think, oh, if I, if I have you know, 12 drinks tonight, I'm going to regret it tomorrow morning. And in a way, that's taking that same thing to, a, to, a, to an extra level. You're saying, okay, in the future, I'm going to look back on the past and wish that I made an alternative uh, decision for the future yeah, yeah. and you can you can keep going up yeah. the levels right so I've, I've I've thought about this a lot and I've, <laughs> I can imagine a situation where you have five levels so can you talk us through where, okay okay so there with, with me this is this is probably as high as you can go so think about someone who's in prison they've committed a, a heinous crime um, they're in prison for the rest of their life they might be sitting there thinking okay for the rest of my life so in the future um, I'm going to regret the fact that I didn't anticipate that I would be regretting this decision when I decided to commit that crime. Yeah. So that's five mm. levels of, of embedding there. And it, it kind of a way, I wonder if, I do wonder if this is related, it's, it's similar to theory of mind in a way. So right. in the theory of mind literature, there's talk about first order false beliefs and mm. second order false beliefs mm. and third order false beliefs. I know that beliefs. you know that Ex they know. Exactly. Kind of and, mm. and I kind of wonder if this might be a first person temporarily mm. Uh, mm. oriented version of that mm. where we sort of you know we our mind can only hold so many levels mm. together but we do this all the time right we mm. experience regret we mm. anticipate regret mm. um, yeah so it's not just a simple matter of we prepare for the future and we look back on the past there's multiple levels of it and so, you know to in a very roundabout way back to the future too as a <laughs> So when, when Doc is on the, he's drawing on the chalkboard and he's trying to explain all these complicated timelines yeah. to Marty, you can yeah. sort of see, see an element of, okay, if you go into the future, then it's going to affect the past and then we'll have a different version of the future and bringing in all these counterfactuals. But of course, this isn't just, okay, so time travel itself might be fantasy, but mental time travel, the reason we all understand time travel, the reason time travel movies are so compelling, I think, is because we do this in our head all the, all the damn time. Um, it's not... Is not just in the realm of fantasy. Thomas Thomas Sidendorf likes to say that we we have our own private uh, time machine yeah. in our in our mind, yeah. and we yeah we use it to to visit the past and possible versions of the future as well. That's a pretty nice way to end it, John. Mm -hmm. um, thank you so much for your time and uh, and taking us through these series of experiments that are, are really quite compelling. And as we uh, post this podcast, we'll of course put a, uh, links to John's research and, and also images of the apparatus, etc. So um, thank you very much for joining us, John. It's been a pleasure having you on. No worries. Thanks, James, and thank you, Nicole. You bet.